The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So I have a little bit of a confession to make. I am not a golfer, and because of that, I did not really understand the power of this little word right here until I became a little bit older in my life. But as I got older, I I came to understand just how amazing this word actually is because the word mulligan, it simply means a do-over. It means an opportunity for a fresh start. It means the chance to actually begin again. And I think the truth is, for many of us, we can all think about different situations that we have been in in our lives, especially for those of us as, as adults, as we kind of look back over the course of our lives, and we can think about relationships and situations where we've wanted a fresh start, where we wanted a chance to actually begin again. Maybe, maybe it was in a friendship. Maybe it was in a, a marriage relationship. Maybe it's the relationship we have with our kids, the relationship that we have even with our parents. Many times, even even in our relationship with God. And I think, that, I think, in fact, the truth is, for many of us, that can actually be the relationship that's most difficult to go back and to try to figure out once we realize that it's not where we want it to be. Because for many of us, for most of us perhaps, a relationship with God, it actually started somewhere a long time ago when we were children. It started with a conversation that we had maybe with our parents, maybe a conversation with a pastor, or a priest. It started with something that we heard in church, or at a camp, or maybe at vacation Bible school, and somewhere back there, somebody kind of handed to you a series of building blocks, and your faith journey began. Or maybe for you, maybe for you, nobody really handed, handed you much of anything. Maybe for you, you just kind of pieced it together on your own. And you just kind of had to try to figure it out for yourself based on your own experiences in life, your joys, your sorrows, the disappointments and the experiences of your own life personally. But see, somewhere back there in childhood, for many of us, it was in our baptism. And God gave to us the gift of faith. He created faith in our hearts. And our faith journey began, and it began with a certain framework of ideas, didn't it? Ideas like God is good. Ideas like Jesus loves me. Maybe for you it began uh, by learning to say a certain prayer at bedtime. Maybe it began for you by learning to say a certain prayer at mealtime. And and probably for many of us, probably we were also told when we were younger that, that God rewards good, that he punishes evil. And so because of that, we'd better learn how to be good little boys We'd better learn how to be good little girls because, because God rewards those people who are good. Maybe, in fact, for you in the tradition that you grew up in, maybe someone actually used that to try to force you, to try to scare you into actually being a good person. And so for all of us, I think, that, that our understanding of who it is that God is, all of that, all, for all of us, we had a beginning. That had a beginning. And for many of us, something we experienced as we got older was that we realized that, that that framework of faith that was handed to us or that we cobbled together or we pieced together when we were young, for many of us, that framework, that kind of that began to take some hits as we got older, didn't it? And for some of us, maybe for most of us, probably to some extent or another, for, for all of us, oftentimes what we've discovered is that childhood faith 
that we had, that childhood understanding of who God is, that didn't really hold up very well against the rigors and the pressures that come with adult life in this world. And the stories and the lessons that meant so much to us as children, they, they just didn't seem to, to that, that faith foundation that we thought was so firm, they just didn't seem to hold up well in what we've come to experience as adulthood, did they? And yes, God is good. But there's a lot of bad things that actually happen in our world that God doesn't seem to do anything about, isn't there? And see, for many of us, we taught, we're taught and we were told that, God, God, you are good, and God, I want to believe that you're good. But it sure feels like, you know, there's a lot of, of, a lot of bad in our world that gets rewarded and a lot of good that gets punished. And it's really hard to reconcile a bad world with a good God. In fact, maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, there's a lot of good in my life that I thought was going to get rewarded, but, but see, God, my marriage didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and, and God, my mom prayed and prayed and prayed. And God, I, I was taught that you answer prayer, but God, you didn't answer my prayer. And God, you didn't answer my mom's prayer. And my mom's about the best person I know, God, and so I, I don't know what to do with that. And for many of us, that left us with that question of, God, where are you? God, where are you? And so for many of us, what we've experienced in our lives growing up is that that faith, that, that belief that we had when we were children, that faith was, that was so real and so passionate and so significant to us, that just didn't hold up very well against the pressures and the rigors of life in an adult world, did it? Maybe even to the point where you're wondering or you're questioning if you've even got any faith left at all. In fact, maybe you're here right now and you're sitting in, in those seats and you're listening to me and you're hoping and, and you're praying, you're, you're hoping that I'll actually say something. You're hoping that you will hear something that will kind of rekindle that faith that, that you remember having but that left you a long, long time ago, not because you wanted it to, but because it just didn't seem like it fit anymore in your adult life. And see, what happened to us was this. Now, you don't think about it in these terms necessarily, but this is what you experienced. For, for us as we were growing up, as our understanding and our view of the world, as that grew and as that matured around us, for some reason, our understanding about who God is, that didn't mature. And so consequently, many of those stories that we learned and the things that we were told about God when we were children, those things, they did not mature either. And, that for, and so for many of us, that left us with a series of what we experience or what we think are a bunch of irreconcilable differences between what it is that we were told about God and what it is that we have experienced as life in this world. And for many of us, it's created a gap a gap between what we experienced in life and what we were told we should believe. And see, for all of us, for all of us who are in that situation, we didn't mean to leave our faith behind, right? I mean, we didn't, we didn't ever make a decision to not believe anymore, just like we never made a decision not to behave anymore. It just became less and less relevant in our own lives personally. And while pain and hurt have never been rational reasons to stop believing in God, they certainly are emotional ones, aren't they? 
In fact, the truth is, many times, it is sin, it is suffering, it is hurt, and it's pain that kind of leads us to wander away from God. And because of that phenomenon that I think has impacted all of us to some degree or another, I think the truth is that for every single one of us, at some point in our relationship with God, every single one of us kind of needs a a mulligan. We kind of need a a do-over. We need a new beginning. When it comes to a relationship with God, we need to begin again. And so for the next several weeks that we're together, we're, gonna, we're going to begin again, and we're going to kind of hit the restart button when it comes to, to talking about the, the subject of faith. And we're going to begin again by asking the question, what if we didn't know anything? Where would we begin? What if we didn't grow up hearing all of those stories? Where would we begin? What if we had never read the Bible before? Then where would we begin? What if we didn't grow up going to church? Where would we begin again as adults, as it relates to the subject of faith, and specifically as it relates to Christianity? What does it mean to begin again when it comes to the idea of belief? Now, if you're here And if you've been looking for an opportunity to to bring a friend who does not know Jesus the way that you know Jesus, this is the perfect time of year and this is the perfect series to bring them to because we're all going to hit the restart button together and we're all going to begin again together and we're all going to hear some new things and we're all going to learn some challenging things. And, and, And my hope is that for many of you, for many of us, where that gap has developed between what we've experienced in life and what it is that we were told to believe, and where that gap of irreconcilable differences between our understanding of God and our understanding of life in this world, where that gap has developed, what you will find over the course of these next several weeks that we're together is that your faith and your life in this world as an adult and your relationship with God, they are truly reconcilable. And to get us started today, what we're going to do is we're going to actually listen in on a conversation that takes place between the Apostle Paul and a group of people who don't know anything about Jesus. In fact, they've never even heard the name Jesus before. And this event, it actually takes place about 25 years after Jesus, the events of Jesus' life. And it's recorded for us in a journal, a, a journal that was written by a man who actually traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was one of Paul's traveling companions. And this journal is actually something that we know of as the book called Acts. And it records for us all the events that took place in the first century church. And what makes what we're going to read today so interesting is that what we're going to read together today, it was written long before what we think of as the Bible was ever assembled. And also before most of the other books that were written about Jesus were ever recorded. And so what Paul is going to share with us and what Paul is going to tell us today about Jesus, Paul knew because he actually knew people who lived with and who had traveled with Jesus. Paul actually knew James, the brother of Jesus. He actually knew Peter. Paul actually knew John. And so what Paul knows about Jesus actually comes from people 
who lived with and who traveled with and who knew Jesus. In fact, you should know this. You should know this. The writings of the Apostle Paul are some of the earliest writings of the New Testament, beginning in about 50 A.D., and nobody disputes that. Not not even secular scholars who do not believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, even they agree, even they believe that there really was a historical person named Paul who wrote most of the New Testament and who traveled throughout what we think of Europe and Asia planting churches. And again, Paul learned what he knew about Jesus from people who actually lived with and who traveled with Jesus. And one day, Paul, he finds himself in the middle of the city of Athens. And and he's having a conversation with a group of people, and he begins to talk to them uh, about Jesus. Now, if you're new to church, then you you might not know that the Apostle Paul, he was not always an apostle. In fact, he actually began life known as Saul of Tarsus, who hated Christians, absolutely hated them. In fact, he did everything in his power to try to exterminate Christians. And then one day he became one, which is a very interesting story, but it's a story for another day. But the the reason Paul became a Christian, it wasn't because he read the Bible. Because, see, the Bible hadn't even been written yet. Paul became a Christian because of something that happened. And so we're going to listen in on this conversation that takes place. And my goal for you today is that, that you would actually hear and understand how it is that someone who knew the people who lived with and who traveled with Jesus, how it is that this person would speak to people who had never heard about Jesus, who it is that Jesus truly is and who it is that God really is. Because it's in this conversation that we actually get at the heart and the center, I believe, of what's at the Christian faith. And if we really want to begin again, then that's the place that we want to be. And so let's get started. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 17. Now, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you can find it on page 1723. And the Apostle Paul, when we get to Acts chapter 17, he finds himself in the middle of the city of Athens. It's the very same city of Athens, Greece, that you can go to and you can visit today. However, when the Apostle Paul got there, verse 16, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was filled with idols. Because, see, Paul understood what all these different idols meant. That these people had absolutely no certainty whatsoever about life in this world. Because, see, every one of these idols was actually built to a different God. It wasn't a bunch of idols to the same God. It was dozens and dozens and dozens of idols, each one built to a different God. And so Paul understood that that meant that these people had no certainty about life in this world. And so, verse 17, he reasoned in the synagogues, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the God-fearing Greeks, people who had actually converted to Judaism, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Verse 18, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they began to dispute with them. Now, Epicureans were a group of people who believed that, you know, listen, life is way too complicated. We're never going to figure any of this out, so don't even bother trying. Just just try to have a nice day, you know, have an extra glass of wine, and just try not to think about it too much. That's basically what the Epicurean view of life was. Well, on the other hand, the Stoics, they were the exact opposite. Those were people who thought, you know, listen, if you give us enough time, we will figure everything out. And so Paul, 
he bumps into people from both of these groups. He bumps into people who have both of these worldviews, and he begins to speak with them, and they're willing to engage with Paul on a deep level to talk about matters of philosophy and religion. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Now, when we hear that, we think that they're saying that Paul was uneducated, right? And we think that that's what they're communicating, but that's not at all what they meant. See, what Paul was sharing with them was completely new to them. They had never heard any of this before, and so for them, this was a whole new beginning. This was a whole new way to think about life in this world. And so others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And again, remember, everything that Paul knew about Jesus, he knew from people who actually lived with and traveled with Jesus. Everything that Paul knew about the resurrection actually came from people who had seen a risen and resurrected Jesus. Verse 19, then they took him, Paul, they took Paul and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, the leaders of the city, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. In other words, Paul, we want you to kind of start from the beginning here. We want you to explain this to us. Now, I want to just kind of pause here for a minute. And kind of look up here for a second. I want you to try to picture this event in your mind that you've heard so far. I mean, picture what's happening here. And I wanted to know if the picture that you have in your mind, does it look something like this? Because if it does, maybe because that's for, for you, when you hear this, you think it's just a fairy tale. You think it's nothing more than what you used to read in a children's storybook when you were younger. That it's just this nice story that has been made up and passed down from generation to generation. But see, the truth is, this is where this event took place. And the reason I want to kind of pause here and point this out to you is because what we're reading about today, what we're, what we're talking about today, this is not a myth. This is not folklore. This is not a fairy tale. This is an event that actually happened. This is the place, and, and this is the hill in, in the middle of the city of Athens. It's where the leaders of the city would come and meet. It's where trials actually took place. It's where they would come together and, and discuss and debate. It's where the leaders of the city would gather every time they had an important decision to make that they they knew would impact and affect the lives of every single person living in the city of Athens. You can go. You can actually stand in this very place today. You can stand where the Apostle Paul stood, where the leaders of the city met to decide whether or not they would actually allow this man Paul to speak about a person and an event that they had never heard of before in their lives. Verse 20, you, Paul, are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and, and we want to know what they mean. So, Paul, please, please start from the beginning, because listen, Paul, we don't know what you know. Paul, we don't have the answers that, that you have. 
Now stop and think about this for a minute. How amazing is this? We are actually reading about an event that took place about 25 years after the life of Jesus where someone who actually knew the people who lived with Jesus is talking to people who don't know anything about Jesus and he is telling them what everyone needs to know about Jesus. I mean, how amazing is that? This was literally, this was their begin again moment. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, once again, this is really interesting, and you kind of have to picture this in your mind. So Paul walks around the city, and there's all these different altars set up. Every one of them has a different name of a different God that the people are worshiping. They're all set up throughout the city, and just in case they missed one, they built this, an altar to a God who was completely unknown to them. See, that way, that way, if this God ever showed up one day, you know what they could do? They, said, they could say, hey, you know what? We've been expecting you. We just didn't know what your name was. We just didn't know what to call you, but, but we knew, but we knew you were there. See, that's why they would build an altar to an unknown God. And so what Paul realizes in this moment, he realizes that, wait a minute, these people, they're actually suffering. These people are hurting. These people are dealing with one of the side effects that comes in every form of religion. And that's uncertainty. Because, see, religion is what develops in the gap between what I know and what I don't know. What I'm certain of and what I'm not certain of. Religion is what develops in the gap between the seen and the unseen, the sacred and the secular, because there's a lot of things I know, but there's an awful lot of things I don't know. Here's what I'm sure of. But, you know, the truth is there's a lot of things that I'm not sure of. See, that's why these people would actually go and build an altar to a God that was unknown to them. Now, for us, we might hear this and we might think, you know, how silly, how ridiculous that sounds, that we would never do that. But the truth is, we do the exact same thing in our lives, don't we? I mean, you have certain prayers that you say, just in case, right? Things that you do, just in case. Maybe jewelry that you wear, maybe something that you carry around in your pocket, just in case. And so the Apostle Paul, he looks around at all these people in the city of Athens and he says, I can see, I can see that you really are, you are very, very religious people. But there's just one problem. You're guessing. You're guessing. You have absolutely no certainty about life in this world, do you? And so Paul says to them, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And so what Paul says is, listen, how, how about we just do this? How about I make this God known to you? How about I tell you about who this God actually is? Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and he does not live in temples built by human hands. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, listen, 
You might find the most beautiful painting in all the world, but you will never find the painter in the painting. You will never find the sculptor in their sculpture. You'll never find the musician in their music. And you will never ever find the Creator in creation. Now, all those things, Paul would say, they can tell you bits and pieces about God. But see, those things, they will never make God known to you. Verse 25, And He is not served by human hands, as if He needed anything, because He Himself gives all people life and breath and everything else. In other words, Paul would say, everything that you have in your life that is good, everything that you have in your life that you are thankful for, all of that actually came from this one Creator, God. And then he goes on and he tells them how God did it. Verse 26, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Verse 27, God did this so that people would seek him. Listen, that's religion. And perhaps reach out for him. Now, what's really interesting is that little word that we translate as reach out in the English, in the Greek, in the original text, that word, it actually means to grope around in darkness. It means to search out in darkness. And Paul says, Paul's actually telling the people, listen, God knew that we would seek him because God actually created us in a way where we want to know who God is. God actually made us to not be content with being uncertain about who God is. God made us to not be content if God is unknown. And in searching for Him, find Him, though or because He is not far from each one of us. And then Paul does something very interesting in verse 28, and he actually quotes from one of their own poets, Because Paul understands something that we should understand, which is that all truth is God's truth. Anything that is true in life, anything that is true in this world, all of that truth, it actually comes from God. And he says this in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, in the past, God understood that there was uncertainty. In the past, God actually understood that that you had to search for him in darkness. In the past, God even understood that he that he was unknown. But now, Paul says. And when Paul says, but now, he meant like in in that very moment, like, like in Paul's own lifetime. But now, God has done something, and God has done something not just for the people of Israel, not just for the people of Athens, Greece, not just for the people of Michigan, not just for the people of the United States, but now, Paul says, that God has done something, and he has done something for the entire world. But now, God commands all people everywhere to repent. And listen, look up here. When you all hear the word repent, what do you think of? 
You, you immediately think of confession, you think of forgiveness, right? You think of sin. That's immediately what pops into your mind, isn't it? But that is not what the Apostle Paul was actually referring to in this text. Remember who he's talking to. These are Greeks. They're not Jews. They have no idea what sin even is. When Paul says repent, he means literally turn away from your misconceptions about who God is. Literally turn away from your false ideas about who God is or what God was. Because now God has revealed himself and he has made himself known. Literally turn away from this God and this God and this God. And turn towards the God who is now known. Why? Verse 31. For or because he has set a day, God has set a day, when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men. It's like, wait a minute, Paul, what do you mean proof? I thought we were talking about religion here. There's no proof with religion, Paul. What, what, what do you mean? Paul, what do you mean proof? Paul, are, are you saying that we can be certain of this? Paul, are you saying there's actually some way that we can objectively know this? Paul, what, what exactly do you mean proof, Paul? You're saying that God can be known that that can actually be certain, that we can know this? And Paul says, yes. Yes, that's why what God has done now is different. Okay, Paul, fine. So, so, so what exactly is this proof? By raising Jesus from the dead. See, proof... Proof, proof is what t- takes and changes the hope-so of religion into the no-so certainty that only comes through Jesus Christ. And see, the real question, the, the real question that you've got to wrestle with, the real question that you've got to try to figure out if you want to begin or if you want to actually begin again in terms of your relationship with God and your understanding of who God actually is, the real question you've got to answer is simply this. Who is Jesus? Who really is Jesus? That is the question and it will always be the question. And see, for those of us who are here this morning who feel like we've asked and answered that question for a long time and and we don't have any, any doubt about the answer to that question, please do not miss the fact that what we find in this text is that when the Apostle Paul has the chance to speak to people who do not know anything about God, he begins with the fact that God cares. And then he moves to the fact that God has revealed himself And that God has actually revealed himself as a man. And if you kind of struggle to believe that, if you're kind of skeptical about that, which of course you would be, I mean, why wouldn't you be? God actually offers proof of that. God decided to prove it to you because he knows that we're skeptical. 
And so every time you question whether or not God actually loves you, and every time you question whether or not God actually cares about you, and every time you question whether or not God is actually listening to you, the proof that you are looking for, it is not found in the circumstances around you or that you are going through in the moment. The proof that you are looking for is actually found in the cross of Jesus and the fact that God has raised him from the dead. See, the cross is the place to begin, and the cross is the place to begin again. And and so because of that, because of that, the question you really have to answer, the question you have to wrestle to the ground as it relates to the idea of faith, and specifically as it relates to the idea of your faith personally, it really is who is Jesus? And what you will discover, I promise you this, what you will discover, like many of us have discovered, is once you actually answer that question, then many of the other questions that you have about life in this world, they actually begin to answer themselves. And so there on that day, on that hill, the Apostle Paul, he left all the people there to wrestle with and to answer that very question, just like I'm going to leave you here today. And if you don't know how to answer that question, that's okay, because this is just the beginning. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for actually being the God who has revealed himself the God who gives new beginnings. And Father, for all of us who are here this morning who really do need to begin again in our relationship with you, I pray that you would actually give to us the faith that we need personally, not only to ask that question, but Father, especially the faith that we need to have that question answered for us. Because that question, it really is the question that changes everything. It changes the way that we view you. It changes the way that we view ourselves. It changes the way that we view our world and our relationships. Father, that's the, the, the question that changes the way that we view life and death in this world. And Father, I do thank you for the fact that you are the God who is close and not far off. And I ask that you would please reveal yourself to the person who is here today, who is seeking and searching in darkness, perhaps, to find you. And Father, for those of us who do call ourselves followers of your Son, followers of Jesus, we do know. We do know what the word repent means. And so, Father, we ask that you would hear us in these next few moments as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that not only is Jesus close, it's better than that, that Jesus is actually with you and he has actually given to you his grace and his forgiveness in his blood and so your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.